0: Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serin Day seven without coffee. And I'm happy to report I am feeling fantastic. I tell you, I'm drinking green tea and in the morning I have these shakes. Uh, I Believe me, I, I'm the last person I thought would ever uh, get into this, you know, health kick. But I'm having these shakes in the morning. Uh, a cup of raspberries, a cup of blueberries, a uh, coconut oil. Uh, never even heard of coconut oil, uh, but I'm uh, throwing that in the shake and almond milk and, and uh, uh, kale. And uh, so I've been feeling uh, so great that I decided uh, to actually start running, which I, I, I've i not had any physical activity in my life other than, you know, uh, tossing the children around in a good way <laughs> we're playing, okay, or taking them up and down the stairs. So I started to run. Now I'm, uh, it's taken me a while to sort of get up to speed and I'm just kind of chugging along the other day up in uh, Thornhill there. And uh, I'm not uh, setting any land speed records, that's for sure. Uh, old guy in a walker comes, you know, by and says, get out of my way! (laughs) So, but I'm feeling great and, uh, hope you are too, wherever you are. You know, we recently uh, marked the 49th anniversary, is it now? My gosh, 49 years since the Kennedy assassination, and in just a couple minutes here, uh, the man who wrote the book that really inspired Oliver Stone to make the movie, JFK, is going to join us. Uh, award-winning uh, journalist, uh, perennial New York Times best-selling author Jim Morris is standing by. I'll ask him a little bit about JFK, but he's got a new book out called uh, Our Occulted History, which is due out in February. So we're going to get into a little discussion about uh, uh, secret societies in particular. I want to pick his brain uh, about the round table. The round table. I say that I, I, this comes up because recently I hosted an event here in Toronto, G. Edward Griffin. Another heavyweight. We only bring you the heavyweights on this program. Uh, G. Edward Griffin, of course, author of The uh, Creature from Jekyll Island and World Without Cancer, uh, came to Toronto uh, to speak about Agenda 21. This is the UN's global uh, sustainable development plan, and a lot of people are are very concerned about Agenda 21 because it's, um, well, let's face it. The UN is not a big fan of private property, and many critics of Agenda 21 believe uh that part of uh their, their the UN's plan is uh to ban uh private property and to herd um, herd us all like cattle into major centers, uh increase the the population densities, and then rewild so that we're gonna basically uh leave the hinterlands and the you know the the, the Great Plains and all of that uh and, and abandon it and uh be herded into the big cities and then they're gonna rewild the rest of North America, you know, uh, bring back uh, a lot of these uh, animals long uh, extinct from, you know, the Great Plains and so forth, as I mentioned. Anyway, that's Agenda 21. So he was here to talk about that. But he also talked about, G. Edward Griffin did, where he feels the real power lies. Who's running the show? And it's surprisingly not the folks at Disney. It's uh, it's the roundtable groups. Who are these roundtable groups? We're going, to, we're going to delve into that a little bit uh, with my next guest. As I say, an award-winning journalist. He has over 30 years' experience uh, writing for several Texas newspapers. In 1999, he began teaching a course on UFOs, perhaps one of the first university-level UFO, UFO courses in the nation. He also investigated the U.S. Army's remote viewing program three years before it was publicly acknowledged by the CIA and then produced... Alien Agenda, what a seminal work that was. In addition, his book, Rule by Secrecy. This is a book I keep on my nightstand. If you're new to this whole field of uh, conspiracies, or what my my good friend Nelson Thal calls state secrets, this is the primer. Get Jim Marr's book, Rule by Secrecy. Uh, It's um, an underground bestseller. His other books include Crossfire, which I mentioned. That was the book that inspired... Oliver Stone, to write JFK. And um, his other books include The Rise of the Fourth Reich, The Terror Conspiracy, The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy. He's been a frequent guest on this program and on my television program, The Conspiracy Show. His latest book is Our Occulted History. What a pleasure to welcome back to The Conspiracy Show, Jim Mars. Jim, how are you?
1: Hey, Richard. It's great to be back with you. And, and I have to put in a plug here. I heard you mention coconut oil. Yes. my uh, My cook... Otherwise known as my wife for 45 years uh, yes. Um, because of various reasons has been using a lot of coconut oil and it's great man it tastes great it spices up and spruces up all kinds of dishes and uh, and you don't get all that bad oil stuff you know
0: no and the other thing is is I put it raw into my uh, my shake and it's it just increases mental clarity I have never felt so alert in my life.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, and you know, I was talking to this, uh, doctor friend of mine, and this guy is like head of gastrointestinal whatever. I mean, this guy is very specialized and, and head of some very uh, specialized doctors. And I was talking to him about nutrition. And in like seven or eight or nine years of medical school, they, they never really get taught about nutrition. <laughs>
0: No, (laughs) no.
1: You know, never mind about that. Take a pill. Exactly you know they, we we've got to get that thing turned around don't we
0: isn't that the huge pink elephant in the room? is that nobody yes. talks about the fact uh, that the that the doctors uh, get uh, they get um, invited to speak at these conferences by the drug companies they 're paid right. by the drug co- drug companies this right. is a this and this goes on all over the world. this is a monumental conflict of interest, but nobody says anything
1: well, and you know richard it's even worse than that because the pharmaceutical companies of course are in bed with the the federal uh, drug administration the fda and uh, uh when i say in bed actually they dominate the fda and they control the fda and if doctors don't prescribe x number of pills and drugs well then they the ama and the ada come down on them. And, the, and they get number one pressured and then they get sanctions you know it's hey, it, he- it's it's an incestuous terrible situation. That's and right. Well, it, that, uh, Unfortunately, I, I guess it's going to get worse.
0: Well, uh, if it can, I don't know. But uh, And here in Canada, I, what I've been told uh, by a number of former Health Canada employees is they are to refer to these drug companies. The, the people, I mean, they're supposed to oversee them and regulate them. They, right. they are to refer to them as clients. Yes. Isn't that yes. absurd?
1: Well, I don't know about you, but having worked in political relations and advertising, a client... Is someone who pays you to do their bidding, okay?
0: Well, that's and, pretty and, much how it works. I know
1: in every agency I ever worked for, uh, either on salary or, or as a consultant or whatever, uh, you yielded to the client. Whatever the client wants, that's what you did.
0: There you go, and that's how it works. Apparently,
1: exactly, and that's we've got it. We've got to change that.
0: Jim, I um, I, I mentioned the roundtable, and and uh, G. Edward Griffin was talking about. Uh, the Round Table and, and uh-huh. uh, Cecil Rhodes. Can we get into that a little bit?
1: Well, Cecil Rhodes, the diamond magnate of of South Africa, you know, uh, back at the turn of the 20th century, uh, he had what started off called the Business Round Table, and finally they just called them the Round Tables. And it was a collection of industrials, industrialists and, and uh Corporate leaders, they call them trust back then, but that's corporations is what it was, and the huge big companies, and uh, they put all the leaders of these big companies and of these corporations together, uh, and they were figuring out ways to maximize profits and to minimize expenses, uh, and so they formed these roundtables, uh, and it was from these roundtables which uh, Cecil Rhodes funded and left a lot of money to, and he himself called them secret societies, okay, because they were secret, you had to be asked to join, Uh, they wanted to make sure that you were of the proper class, and of the proper uh, worldview, and it was from these roundtables that we saw the creation of the Council on Foreign Relations, and it's uh, U.K., sister, the Royal Institute of International Affairs.
0: And I think we've got one similarly named up here in Canada as well.
1: Yes, and I'm sure it's a sister organization. They're all connected to the same people. Um, And and the thing is, this is what I point out in my new book, uh, Our Occulted History, which I hate to go into too much because I don't want to get everybody fired up, and then they go run and say, oh, I'm going to run and get a copy, and then they find out it's not due out until February uh, so.
0: Well, we'll get, make that clear.
1: Details, but what it comes down to is that even though the names of the corporations change, the names of the administrators change, the ownership and the controlling interest, which does not have to be contrary to a lot of people think you have to have more than 51% to control a company, but you don't, okay? If there's a corporation, and let's say, Uh, you own uh, uh, 10% of it, and nobody else owns more than 5%, you control that company.
0: Right, right.
1: Right? You understand this, and I understand this. Because your 10% is a block. You have to have 51% before you can control a company, but you don't. All you have to do is have enough of the voting stock to where you can own it and you can control it.
0: Because your 10% is a block. Those others aren't organized.
1: That's right. right. That's right. And uh, I know I got on this years ago when uh, Ray, uh, President Reagan's CIA director, Bill Casey, uh, was involved with a company called Resorts International, and they, they turned around and bought ABC television because it was exposing some of the evil deeds of the CIA. And um, uh, Casey had gone to the FCC and tried to get them to pressure ABC, get them to tone it down or stop reporting on the CIA, and ABC wouldn't do it. So he just went and they leveraged it out and, and bought ABC, a company two-thirds larger than itself, uh, this Resorts International, and come to find out he owned like 5% of the stock, And it said, according to the Associated Press, his wife owned a like amount, which means she owned about five percent, and no one owned more than six percent. Well, that meant he controlled it. Okay,
0: there you go. That's how how
1: you run these things, and this is how you control it all. And the point being is that there, behind the scenes, there is literally a handful of people, and they're all related. Okay, I was absolutely amazed. George Bush, Al Gore, John Kerry, they're all
0: related. Let's delve into that. They're
1: all cousins to the Windsors.
0: Let's delve into that, Jim. The
1: family of England.
0: Let's delve into that when we come back. Jim Mars, the legend, right here on The Conspiracy Show. Hope you'll be a part of the program as well. We'll roll out the numbers when we come back from the break in just a moment. We'll talk about the roundtable. Who's really running the show? Back with more. Stay with us. of the system are asleep. Now we can play The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And your portal uh, into The Conspiracy Show, the website richardserrett.com and uh, the other website theconspiracyshow.com. Look for an announcement soon on theconspiracyshow.com regarding Season 3 of the TV show The Conspiracy Show. Uh, coming soon, an announcement on Season 3. All right. Uh, Jim Mars is with us. And uh, just a reminder, his new book, Our Occultist History, is coming out February of 2013. February. Uh, we're going to tease you a little bit with um, some uh, some secret society talk right now, though. Uh, Jim stays with us for the hour. So let me go back to Cecil Rhodes. And I want people to understand how wealthy this individual was i mean he, he was a a mining magnate diamonds primarily i guess uh i mean in today's dollars i mean he was probably the richest man in the world at that time at the time of his death about 1902 i think it was but give me a sense of how wealthy this guy was jim
1: well he pretty much owned all of south africa that's uh that obviously requires uh bucks but he was able to uh to be a controlling influence uh, at the time when the British Empire was, you know, uh, perhaps at its zenith, uh, and they uh, they threw the various uh, British corporations through the Bank of England. Uh, they pretty well dominated the Western uh, Western civilization. Um, and again, what we do is we find that uh, that they're they're all connected. Um, for example, uh, let's go back to the administration of George Herbert Walker Bush. Every member uh, of his cabinet, except for Vice President Dan Quayle, who, as you recall, couldn't spell potato, <laughs> and his old buddy Jim Baker, but everybody else was a member of the Council on Foreign Relations. So yes. Rhodes is uh, a you know, secret society. So, But then in 1993, we got the Clinton administration. Bill Clinton and Democrats, okay, so we just supposedly changed everything. Oops, wait a minute. Every member of Clinton's, uh, administration and cabinet, with the exception of Defense Secretary William Perry, were Council on Foreign Relations. Ha, ah, but then we get Bush Jr., George W. comes in, and in the, uh, selection of, uh, 2000, and we look at his cabinet. Dick Cheney, Colin Power, Connelly's Rice, Don Rumsfeld, Lane Chao, Robert Gates, oh, hello, they're all Council on Foreign Relations. But then we get a, a Democrat, Barack Hussein Obama, okay, so you'd think we've had a big change, right? Well, no, wait a minute, we still get Robert Gates, Janet Napolitano, Bill Richardson, Susan Rice, James Jones, uh, General Jones, blah, blah, blah. They're all Council on Foreign Relations. Mm. And if that's not bad enough, uh, in 2009, and this the source of this was on the Council on Foreign Relations website, uh, we have General James Jones, uh, Secretary of, uh, of uh, uh, National Security Advisor, uh, at a Munich conference uh, in Germany saying, and this is a direct quote, As the most recent National Security Advisor of the United States, I take my daily orders from Dr. Kissinger,
0: Uh filtered
1: down to General Brent Snowcroft and Sandy Berger, who is also there. We have a chain of command in the National Security Council that exists today. Well, wait a minute. National Security Council. We hear this all the time, don't we, Richard? The National Security Council. Yes, yes. Ordered this, and ordered that, and they said they're going to bomb this place and,
0: and missile that place. The order is supposed to come from the president.
1: Well, yeah. So, so that you know that constrains us to ask what exactly who is the National Security Council? Uh, I'm not even sure if you're aware of this. Are you aware that, that formally the National Security Council? Is, is simply uh, the president, the vice president, secretary of defense, and state. That's it. Right. Now, that think was... about it. Three of them, secretary of state, and defense, and the uh, vice president, they all are appointed or named by the president. Right. So, in other words, it's a one-man chain of command. And that's you know, that kind of... Kind of begins to sound like the de- definition of a dictatorship.
0: Well, it's a national security state, is what it is. I guess
1: exactly. by definition. Exactly. Now it's uh, all being run more and more by concentrated power.
0: Let me. Uh, uh, here's a, a crib a line here from uh, what was supposedly Cecil Rhodes' will. And again, this was the wealthiest man in the world. He gave all of his fortune, his entire fortune, to the creation of these round table groups. In the in the will he says two and four the establishment promotion and development of a secret society the yep. true aim and object whereof shall be for the extension of British rule throughout the world so what is he what was he what was he trying to do uh, uh bring about one world government but would would be but would be run by the anglo-american establishment or yep.
1: Yep, he was doing exactly what the Nazis tried to do, which was to to have their uh, their own genetic and eugenic uh, bloodline uh, be in charge of running the world. And uh, it's it's always been us, actually. Uh, it, it's absolutely amazing, but you can you can go all the way back to Philip of Macedonia, and you can trace these people up through. Uh, Ancient Egypt and Greece and then Rome, and then you can get to uh, Duke Geoffrey de Bouillon of the House of Lorraine became the Jerusalem uh, the King of Jerusalem, and founded uh, the Prairie of Sion and the and the uh, Knights and, and helped create the Knights Templars, and then you find out that uh, Oops George Herbert Walker Bush and his, and his wife Barbara both are related to Bouillon family. Uh, and then you come down to the descendants of uh, Louis and Charles of, and H- Henry and all these kings of France and Britain, and uh, they're all of the same bloodline. Uh, the Bushes, for example, are from the Pierce bloodline, which changed its name from Percy when they uh, came across the Atlantic and, and uh, began set up shop and, North America, and Percy today still remains one of the most of the largest of the aristocratic families in Britain. Um, and then, according to Lynn Cheney, Dick Cheney's wife, who was preparing a book, she finds out that uh, uh, it goes on and on because uh, she found out that uh, a descendant of Maureen Duval, a French Huguenot whose son married the granddaughter of a Richard Cheney uh is Barack Hussein Obama. Oh, my. <laughs> so Obama's related to Cheney. <laughs> okay? And the and the Chicago Sun-Times further reported that both Obama and Cheney are blood relations to the Bush family. Uh, and, and it just, I mean, wait a minute. What are the odds here? And uh, they're linked. Uh, the Bushes are linked to a 17th century Massachusetts couple, Samuel Hinckley, and Sarah Sewell. And Hinckley is a relative of George Herbert Walker Bush's friend, John Warnock Hinckley, whose son, John Warnock Hinckley Jr., was the man who shot President Reagan. Now, <laughs> about keeping it all in the family.
0: And and uh, and John Hinckley, uh, w- did they not find on him an, uh, an appointment book? Was he not supposed to have lunch with Neil Bush or something that day? yeah.
1: Uh, Neil Bush was scheduled to have a uh, dinner with, uh, his, uh, I forget now, is his father or his brother? But anyway, uh, well, the father, John Hinckley Sr., and George Herbert Walker Bush were old business partners and oil men together, uh, here in Texas, and they were close friends anyway. And then, obviously, the family then knew. It, it, it just goes on and on. Who, who was providing security? For the world trade center when they got demolished neil bush in september yeah uh, outfit called Securicom. In and Securicom, the uh, the uh, ceo was work walker the third as in george herbert walker bush all right and uh, I, I, and, they, and they, uh, one of uh, bush's younger brother marvin bush sat on the board of directors so the bushes had control over the security of the world trade center
0: my, my. Jim Mars I mean, is with it us. it just goes on and on. Uh, the, how are these round tables Now, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, Jim, is that these secret societies, these round tables, uh, they may have branch offices in every country, but they're organized sort of because people often say, well, how can you keep something like that secret? But they're okay. organized among a principle of is it concentric rings so that nobody on the outside really knows who on the inside is giving the orders.
1: Right. Well, for example, uh in the Royal Institute of International Affairs, and as with the Council on Foreign Relations, uh, it, it, I call them secret societies because it's not like they're a secret. I mean, it, they have websites and they they publish foreign affairs. They publish this ma- monthly magazine and or quarterly, and uh, you know they tell you exactly what they're talking about and what they're looking at and. How they view the world. There, I call them secret societies because Richard, you and I can't join, and neither can any of your listeners. I don't care how much money you have. You can't say, "Oh, well, that sounds like a good idea. I want to be a member too." Uh-uh. You have to be approved. You have to go through a vetting process, and they have to make sure that you're of the the proper class and the proper world outlook, okay, and that you're in tune. Uh, with their new world order. And only then are you invited to come and be a member. And then you have to pledge that you will not reveal anything that you learn uh, in these meetings or in these discussions. And they say this is so they can have a frank and open discussion. But what it does is, of course, is clamp down a media blackout on their activities and on their thinking, and yet, uh, all you have to do is go back and study what little bit of information does leak out. And you find that all too often, that some of the policy changes that they discuss in these secret society members' meetings all end up being official policy adopted by Canada and by the UK and by the United States. So it really makes a mockery of the whole idea of democracy.
0: Uh, We have an organization up here called the C.D. Howe Institute. I don't know if you've ever come across uh, um, uh, them, but they've been, in fact, I believe, uh, it was either the C.D. Howe Institute or the Fraser Institute. These are sort of two uh, ostensibly conservative uh, think tanks. Uh, But the idea of the Amero, I believe, was the name of it was coined, With either at the Fraser Institute, I believe. I
1: I I can't remember which one it was, but I believe you're right. And of course, the marrow was the idea that they're going to try to have a North American um, monetary unit uh, to replace the dollar and the and the Canadian dollar and the Mexican peso. Uh, And they began working on this, of course, with the signing of the Prosperity Partnership in 2005. and they're still working on that, but they're having trouble now because more and more people are waking up, and there's more and more resistance. Uh For example, they were going to run that Canamex superhighway right through the middle of Texas, all the way up through the middle of the United States. And, and up then, to
0: Manitoba, yeah.
1: Yeah, and then run right into Canada, split, I think, and go both east and west. Uh, They're still doing it. <laughs> they're still planning on doing it, but it slowed them down. They had to change the name. The... Uh, the uh, Spanish company uh, that was uh, related to the Royals over there, uh, they got eased out and I think they're, they're changing the name and, you know, a few cosmetic changes going on, but they're still pushing for this because it comes back to what you yourself said, Richard, about what they want is a North American, uh, wild area where it's just beautiful, untouched countryside, you know, unfettered by us nasty old humans and uh with just a few really magnificent uh, living spaces like huge suburbs uh you know uh tended by the rich and power or owned by the rich and powerful and then tended by a bunch of uh serfs or peons that would, you know, do the cooking and the cleaning and the gardening and stuff like that. And that's why Uh, They're in the process right now of eliminating the middle class.
0: How does this dovetail, if at all, with Agenda 21 and the UN? In other words, is this uh, roundtable using the UN uh, to achieve this one world government, or is the UN using... The American, uh, uh, you know, empire uh, to further the U.N.'s agenda. Let's think on that. We'll take a time out. We'll come back and continue our conversation with Jim Mars, our occultist history due out February 2013. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. Keeping an eye on the New World Order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. Jim Mars is with us. The author of uh, Rule by Secrecy, Crossfire, The Rise of the Fourth Reich, The Terror Conspiracy, The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy, and his uh, next, due out February 2013, Our Occultist History. Uh, we're talking about uh, the, the secret uh, roundtable group started by Cecil Rhodes. Uh, at the, uh, the turn of the century, he willed his entire fortune to the establishment of these secret societies and the... Uh, uh, the end game was world government. Uh, in fact, uh, that's all sort of epitomized in one of Rhodes' uh, statements. He said, "I quote: I would annex the planets if I could." Uh, this was a man hell bent on uh, on world domination. Now, uh, let's let's go back to the UN, uh, the UN Agenda 21, and I, and I will in, in the very near future be dedicating an entire hour to this topic. Good, uh, but uh, um, what's always confused me is. Because at, at times the U.S. seems somewhat antagonistic uh, towards the UN. Uh, on the other hand, uh, they they seem to have you know these this this uh, a similar path. So I'm wondering who, who's wagging the dog or who's wagging the tail here? Is it the UN or is it the, the uh, uh, these roundtable groups?
1: Uh, it's the roundtable groups, and I say that because um, it was the roundtable groups. They came up with the old League of Nations, which was the idea following World War One that they were going to try to band the various sovereign nations together and and create a new world order, uh, you know, so that they could uh, standardize and uh, rubber stamp some of the uh, politics and economics of the industrialized countries. But it didn't fly, and that was strictly because the United States Senate refused to join. They said, we, I don't think we want to give up our sovereignty. We've built a pretty good country here in the United States, and I think we'll just keep our own sovereignty. So that's when they created the Council on Foreign Relations and the um, Royal Institute of International Affairs. And originally their specific purpose was to acclimate the public to accept this uh this collection this collectivism of world nations. Uh now they didn't they that and at that point they of course we're talking about the League of Nations and then when it fell through then they just continued to operate and then by the time of World War II uh they were really pretty brilliant towards the end of the war with uh um, Russia and United States and Britain and Canada and Australia and, and uh, 20 other countries all cooperating trying to win the war against uh, Hitler and against uh, the Japanese militarists. They just, the newspapers and the radios began to just refer to them as the United Nations. And then as soon as the war was over with, they quickly created the United Nations and then set up that huge building in New York on Rockefeller land. This is all part of the plan to try to collectivize the world and bring them under uh, uh, centralized control. See, And that's why people don't quite understand why these people were so supportive of first communism. Uh, they supported the Bolsheviks in Russia rather than the white Kerensky government. And then they created Hitler and National Socialism in Germany, and it's like, wow, well, wait a minute! I thought the communists and the Nazis were were deadly enemies, you know? Well, and on surf, on the surface they were, and yet they were created by the same moneyed interest. And the reason is pretty simple: if you can, if you own something, then you control it. If you control it, then you don't have to be afraid of it. Uh, and they had to create. National socialism in Germany to try to stop the spread of communist socialism out of Russia because it was, it was getting out of hand. They wanted socialism, but they didn't want war. They actually, you know, you hear about this one world government, but they really don't want a one world government, a monolithic one world socialist government because if that was the case, then they couldn't pit one country or one economic block against another. I think what they want is what we see reflected in the book 1984, written by a British Fabian socialist by the name of Eric Arthur Blair, uh, who wrote under the pen name George Orwell. And I think he was privy to the plan. And the plan is they would like to divide the world up into three, possibly even four or more economic blocks, and then play them off against each other just like they did with the Cold War between the communist East and the capitalist West. And they funded both, and they played them off against each other for maximum profit and control. And then when they when that ran out of steam, they couldn't make it work anymore. Now, of course, we're having to battle international terrorism, whatever that is.
0: Right. Yeah, that's uh, fascinating. The fact that uh, if terrorism is such a threat, you know, why is the, uh, the this gaping hole in the U.S. security fence between the U.S. and the Mexican border allowed to remain, you know, wide open? If they were really concerned about Al Qaeda pouring over the border, I mean, that right. was one that that would be one place where they where I, where I would start if I were Al Qaeda.
1: <laughs> start by securing the borders, right?
0: <laughs> right. But uh, and hey, you know, hey,
1: you got you got a visa, you got a passport. You you're going to come visit? Great, you know, but uh, otherwise, sorry, you got to be legal.
0: You're right, Jim. The, the war is not on terror. It's on us. And, we and are the enemy. Let me share this with you, Richard, because
1: I've, already, I've heard people say, well, oh, they, they can't close the border. Uh, yes, they can, and they have in my lifetime uh, for, for maybe half a day or more at the time of the Kennedy assassination when Lyndon Johnson was saying, hey, this could be the start of a... Of World War Three, this could be an uh, attack by, by the Russians after all Lee Harvey Oswald's been to Russia. You know, this could be a start of an attack. They closed the border.
0: There you go, Jim. Hold on. We'll be right back. Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. President Bill Clinton really named two individuals during his um, inauguration speech. One was, uh, you know, for inspiring him, one was uh, John F. Kennedy. Uh, The other was his professor at Georgetown University, Carol Quigley who wrote Tragedy and Hope, and he also wrote another book called, even a number of books, but the other one uh, in which he talks about these Cecil Rhodes roundtable groups it was the Anglo-American establishment. Was Quigley an apologist for this secret society? W- why was he writing this book? Was he outing them, or was he an apologist for the aims of the roundtable groups?
1: He was an apologist, basically, except he didn't apologize. In fact, he said that he had actually been part of all this and that he agreed with it uh... he said the only thing he disagreed with these new world order people is that they wanted to try to remain secretive and slip all this in on everybody and that he thought that it was a good idea and, and that they ought to just get up and explain to everybody this is this is the best idea this is the way to peace and prosperity and this is the way we should go and uh... Um, I'm with Quigley. Not that I think that's the way that we should go, but simply that I agree. I think it ought to be all on the table and everybody ought to understand. Uh, you've, you've mentioned several times about Agenda 21. This is a program that they are pushing through the United Nations, uh, which uh, superficially sounds great. We want to, you know, try to save wetlands and save, uh, wildlife refuges and, you know, try to help the environment. Well, you know, who can be against that? And, uh, and yet the, their way of doing this, the methods of doing that, uh, was to, we'll just move people off their property <laughs> and we eminent domain where the government will take it over, move people off and, uh, um, the government will take over the running of it already now. The vast majority of. Land in the United States today is now owned by the government. Where, where did that come about? That's not that's not what government's supposed to be about. Government is the, is supposed to be here, ordained to uh, as representatives of the people, to administer the public areas of life, to try to see that the playing field is level, uh, to try to see that labor doesn't you know. Run rampant over management, and that management doesn't run rampant over labor, and uh, and yet that's not what's happening now. Uh, now we have a whole layer of government control, and you have bureaucrats that are trying to run everything, and people are being run off their land. Little girls are having their lemonade stands shut down. <laughs> Farmers can't sell milk, for God's sake!s mm. I mean, you know, we we've gone absolutely bonkers in this country
0: it's it's interesting that that clinton would um would thank uh, Quigley, and i don't know if he's if he's publicly stated this you would you would know jim has has clinton ever acknowledged that that quigley was uh an advocate of this end game and that he agreed with it
1: oh yes Um uh, now it hasn't been that plain and he had never said uh quigley says this and and put it down in, in a very uh, just, you know, flat-out statement, and then saying, yes, and I support him. But he has, on several occasions, praised Quigley and, uh, as being, you know, this mentor to him. And uh, it's, uh, it's no secret that that's uh, – and, of course, he's a Rhodes Scholar, remember?
0: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, so, so they picked this kid out of Arkansas – and send him over to England to study so he can be a Rhodes Scholar. So he will follow in the footsteps of Cecil Rhodes.
0: And did Summers, I understand, at Kennebunkport, was basically taken under the Bush family, uh, taken to their bosom, if you will. Is...
1: Yeah, and again, we see the incestuous nature of all this because Cecil Rhodes was not just operating in a vacuum. In 1888, uh, in his third and final will, he left everything to Lord Rothschild. So, once again, we find the Rothschilds behind everything, okay? Just like uh, German Chancellor Bismarck said that the war between the states, uh, the North and the South here in the United States, was fomented by the Rothschild banking dynasty in Europe. And that it was all planned to break up North America so that the French and the English could come back and take control over North America. Of course, you don't get taught this in school. So everybody goes, "What, where do you get this conspiracy theory?" You know But it's not a theory. It's just there, and it's, historians know it. People that study their history know it. But uh, most people don't know it because they never get told this, these things.
0: Quickly again, he actually names the leaders of this group. He, he said it was, you know, at the beginning it was Cecil Rhodes, and then he handed it off to Alfred Milner. Yep. And then Milner alone ran it until his death in 1925. Then someone named Lionel Curtis from 25 to 55, Robert H. Brand from 55 to 63, Adam Maris from 63 until the time quickly wrote his book. So who's running the show now, or does it matter? I mean, do the names matter?
1: That's a good question. Essentially, no, because uh, you probably wouldn't know the names anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But uh, it's, the, it's the same family and the same ownership. That's what I've been trying to tell people. It's uh, they, they're still very much in control. This is what the Occupy thing was all about,
0: where they were talking about the one percent. Yeah, the one percent. You know, it's probably one uh, percent of one percent.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And even that one percent is kind of an inflated number because most of the most of that one percent, they are people hangers-on, wannabes, people who are making their living, you know, dealing with this and and administering. The policies of the less than 1%. Uh, but they, they, they follow along with the game plan and, uh, so, so they count even though they're not the decision makers. Uh, it's just like, uh, in any large corporation, uh, you know, people say, well, let's find the, let's find the president of the company and we'll just lynch him and everything will be okay. No, that, it has worked. In fact, most presidents of most large corporations uh, particularly in, in Canada, the United States, Britain, are, are, for the most part, probably decent people. They're family men, you know, they, they like their opulent lifestyle, and they like to have chauffeur driven limousines, and they like to have their country estates and everything, but basically they, they may be perfectly fine people. They're just capable administrators. Mm. They follow the policies that are set by the, Chief executive officers and by the people who are sometimes faceless people who sit on the, and I say faceless because they're just not known to the public, who sit on these boards of directors and then direct them. Okay, here's what you're going to do. And then they see to it that these, uh, orders and the, and these, uh, marching orders get carried out. And so you can't even, you can't even say, well, we'll wipe out the president and the vice presidents of this corporation and everything will be all right. No, no, it's it's got to get to the ownership. And then you're in a real problem because I'm the last one in the world that says somebody can't own something. That's that's one of the bedrocks of freedom. If you can't own something, then nobody's free, are they?
0: Well, yes, except uh, if if the free market is no longer free, if you have uh, a situation where you have a couple of monopolies. I mean, right. Teddy Roosevelt, uh, you know, tried to bust up Standard Oil. Of course, that's that's, right. that was pretty difficult to do. But uh, well, there and, comes and a look time. What
1: happened, okay? mm-hmm. Here was Standard Oil, which at one point controlled probably 90% of the whole petroleum industry of the world. And they said, this is a monopoly, which it was. So the Supreme Court acted, and they broke it up into, I believe, like 33 different companies. Okay? Well, John, old John D. now instead of having majority ownership in one monopolistic company, now he's got majority ownership in 33 companies. He became the world's first billionaire. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky deal. But I think there's ways of, of working it out uh for instance walmart you know out of benton arkansas uh and uh they they uh what's the fellow's name that started walmart
0: oh uh was it walsh no Walt, walton, uh, walton walton uh, yeah uh,
1: or walton yeah i think anyway you know who i'm talking about
0: yes sam walton
1: sam walton and he had a great idea for marketing and he just went wild and kept building more stores and spread out, and and now, you know, Walmart comes in a place and runs off all the mom-and-pop shops, and then pretty soon they've got it, uh, because they now have such a buying power that they can buy stuff and sell it a lot cheaper than, than the average businessman can. That's why they've been so successful. Okay. I have no problem with that, and I have no problem with Sam Walton building up his little empire. If he's a hard worker and as long as he's doing things legally, that's fine. But there needs to be government. At some point, there needs to be government that acts as referee. And, for example, in the case of Walmart, I think it's too late now, but they should have said, okay, you can have umpteen stores in any state, but you can't go outside the state lines.
0: Or how about saying that um, you know most of your products have to be built in the good old USA or or in Canada or eighty
1: percent have to be made in the United States exactly or something I mean you know that's just we're just talking theory here but the point being is there are ways to make that happen that would be fair to everybody but that's not what's happened is it.
0: No, Jim. We uh, we're just about out of time here. But just uh, in, a, in 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 um, ninety seconds, we just recently commemorated the uh, the forty anniversary of the assassination of JFK. Of course, your book Crossfire, seminal work, inspired Oliver Stone to make JFK. Uh, next year, you know, the fiftieth anniversary coming up. But um, any any new information that's come to light uh, uh, on the assassination that you think is just, you know, explosive and needs to be needs uh, to be heard?
1: There's just all kinds of things. For example, uh, but it's none of it is. Uh, if you're looking for a thank you note from Lyndon Johnson to Lee Oswald, you know, you're not going to find it. <laughs> But if, but there's stuff like we now have a document shows that the CIA internally, five or six, half dozen top officials of the CIA were very concerned about Lee Harvey Oswald two months before the assassination. And in fact, they were wondering if it was the same Oswald that had defected to Russia. So this was something, see, you, you would have to have lived through it. But we were told at the time and have been all these years that the government, nobody in the government knew anything about Oswald. He just kind of fell between the cracks, and, and nobody really knew. And nobody who would have thought that he was would have been there and would have done something. Hey, they knew. He was, he was intimately tied to the Central Intelligence Agency, and they knew about him. In fact, you can go back. There's another document. Uh, 1960, three years before the assassination, where J. Edgar Hoover, head of the FBI, queries the uh, security division of the State Department and was warning them that an imposter was using Lee Harvey Oswald's birth certificate. In other words, there's an imposter posing as Oswald running around. Well, wait, if that's the case, then who was it in Dallas?
0: Indeed. Jim, always a pleasure. And uh, again, the um, occultist history of our, our, our uh, again, the title of the book due out in February. Our Occulted our, History. Our Occulted History, February 2013. Thank you, yeah. Jim.
1: Bye-bye. Watch for it. It's going to be an eyebrow raiser.
0: Will do. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Good night. You can check out what's coming up on The Conspiracy Show, www.richardserrett.com.